listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. This is our panel conversation with the two mission teams that went out this summer. It was really difficult to try to keep this under two hours, but we did. And yet there's so many stories still to be told or to be heard. If you have questions after you've listened to this, please send an email to gracematters at graceccnc.org or find any of these folks who went on these two trips. They would love to tell you more and answer your questions. If we get enough questions, we might do a follow-up episode. But hopefully this one will satisfy your curiosity about what our church participated in around the world in the month of July with these two teams. Thank you. Good evening. Welcome to Grace Matters. Uh, it's a beautiful time to, to be with you this evening, and we're here to hear reports and praises about the things that God has done in and through our teams who have uh, gone on mission this summer to Italy, as well as to the churches in Cuba, or some churches. And uh, to, to kind of introduce our time, I wanted to share with you a little bit of what I shared with part of the, the Cuba team before they left. And that is what has struck me recently is this undercurrent that we find throughout Scripture of the doctrine of embodiment. Doctrine of embodiment, what is that? It's just simply the fact that we are bodies. We're more than bodies, but we absolutely need our bodies. God created us as embodied spirits or ensouled bodies. All throughout Scripture, this is present and important from the creation of Adam. When God created Adam out of the dust of the earth, he breathed in, into him the breath of, of God, and he became a living spirit. And it gives perspective, value to us as humans. Our full humanity is both this mind or soul or spirit, or volition, whatever you want to call this metaphysical aspect of us, but also the bodies. We're not just ethereal minds floating around, nor are we simply mechanics. But God united life in these bodies. And by the way, if you separate someone's soul from their body, you just killed them. But as Christians, when we die, we are looking forward not to the resurrection of our souls, because our souls will be with the Lord, but the resurrection of our bodies. And what I shared with the, the team from Cuba... Uh, or at least the part of them that I was with the night before they, they got on their airplane, was this principle that I was reminded of uh, upon a rereading of God's Smuggler, uh, the life and story of Brother Andrew carrying Bibles and, and greetings from the church of, of the Netherlands to churches behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War. And he didn't carry much money with him. Uh, in those early years, he only had a handful of Bibles to smuggle in and, and pass on to the believers there. And he wasn't particularly a, a gifted speaker, so there wasn't a great oratory or message that he could deliver. And so he was wondering, what is it that he had to give to these believers uh, behind the Iron Curtain? And he was surprised, but maybe shouldn't have been, when the believers in Romania, in Ukraine, in Poland, and these countries came to him and simply said, your being here is a blessing to us. Thank you for being here. We are not forgotten. We are not alone. And that's what I shared with part of the, the Cuba team, is that your going is itself a blessing. 
You're going to serve and bless these churches in another country, and you will do that. You are doing that. However, don't overlook the fact that your being there itself is a service, a ministry to these people. And interestingly, when you go to do that, you yourself are blessed because you see in person how the Lord is working in and through them. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. So as we uh, introduce our panel, in a moment I'll pray for us, and Dr. Calvert will introduce those who will be uh, reporting back for us from Italy and from Cuba. But I just wanted to share with you the importance of presence, and that when God calls us, He calls us with as great as technology is and the things that it allows us to do, it, it does not replace being together. And that's uh, a big part of what these teams did this summer, is to join with other saints around the world, and also to share the good news so that the God who seeks and saves that which is lost can make new saints and this family can grow. So as we prepare to listen to them, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we are grateful that indeed you do seek and save us by the life and sacrifice and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for inviting us into this work of making your name known around the world, about making disciples of the nations. So, Lord, may the conversation this evening be honoring to you, and may it stir the hearts of all who listen, that we may be more conformed to the image of Christ and more adamant and energetic to carry your name to all the corners wherewith um, you send us. We pray these things in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, so my name conversations establishing blessings is my pleasure to facilitate another grace matters. These are conversations establishing believers in the truth. So what we want to do is not only facilitate a conversation on the stage here, but also with you and then even beyond just this space. And these are things we want to, as a church, talk about often. So uh, that's what we're calling these mission stories. As you can also see, there is a tool that we use called Slido. So we're going to have opportunity for you to ask questions. So I know that a lot of you are also parents of some of these folks up here. So like if, you, if there's something you've been wanting to ask them and you haven't asked them yet, you should totally do it on Slido, and it'll be anonymous if you use an anonymous name. Or you can use your name, and then they'll know. But you can ask these questions uh, straight through this web-based app. Um, it's very simple to use. And I have some questions I'll ask you that I'll throw on the screen in just a few minutes too. So if you want to use Slido, you can scan that code or just go to slido.com and use that code Grace Matters, and you'll find um, this app. So we find that to be useful to kind of keep track of questions in a bigger space like this. Now I do want to introduce our panel, which they are split up on purpose. If they're all sitting together, you might forget who went where. And so they actually coordinated their shirts as well so to make it even easier. Uh, but this team to my right, your left, is the team that went to uh, Isola del Gran Sasso in Italy. And so they will give you an update in just a minute. And then the team to my left, your right, is the team that went to Cuba, or part of the team that went to Cuba. So we're grateful to have um, Jen Bart, who's right beside me, Summer Skydama, Leah Stanley, and Micah Bart to represent and give some stories about what happened in Italy. And then over here, we have Mackenzie, Georgia, Betsy, Josh, Bella, and Nathan. And so they'll all share a little bit. And Keisha's going to give kind of a, the, the Cliff's Notes version of how the week went. And so 
don't know if you thought about that yet, Jen. Okay. So Jen will give the five-minute like summary of what happened in Isola. Keisha will give the five-minute summary. And then I have some questions, and then we'll take questions from you. So first, we'll start over here with the coordinated shirts. So if you're not familiar with where they went, uh, I tried to do one of those cool little Zoom videos on Google Earth, and I didn't have time for it. And so it's just a screenshot. But this little spot, um, if you actually wanted to see the, the words Isla del Gran Sasso, you got to zoom way in. Like it's, it's not a, a giant city. It's not a metropolitan area. Um, and it is located right in the middle of the boot. And so this is where they were. So what is your five-minute summary, Jen, of your time in Italy? It's funny. It's funny, David. Five minutes is yep. like me giving you three pictures I'm over setting, 18 days in I'm Italy. I'm setting a timer <laughs> right now. <laughs> all right. Um, first of all, our team, we had a team of 13. Um, some are in the red shirts here tonight. We have several that are missing. We flew into Rome and... Um, I think we learned from our time in Rome. It was really interesting. But when we got to camp, um, our team, I would say, was just overjoyed. It's like we all relaxed, we're at peace, and we felt the presence of the Lord. And when when John and I met, um, I think, well, you had known, when we met the Hunsickers about seven years ago, we spent you know, six months in home group with them, and I got to love on their kids, and we knew they were a unique couple. We knew that we wanted to serve with them at some point. So one, thank you all for letting us do that. It was a great privilege. And So to clarify, yeah, Joe and Stefania Hunziker, who lead the camp at uh, Isola, they spent their furlough, as it were, like in reverse. Even though they are from Italy, they came here to rest. And so they spent six months uh, here at Grace Community Church, participated in the life of the church. Their kids participated in life with us. And a lot of you remember that. Some of you have no idea about that. So just clarifying, that's how Jen and John got to spend that time building that kind of relationship with them, even though they've had a relationship with us even before that, and certainly will continue. But okay, keep going. Okay, we're going to duck that for my time. It's 30 seconds. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so when we got to camp, our team, I mean, honestly, we just, we thrived. And I knew they folks, we could hang right in there with them. A great group of serving young people, um, and even us older folks, we could hang right in there with them. But Joe and Stefania um, lead as gentle, humble servant leaders. So they run that camp um, like a well-organized uh, well, they're just experienced. They have wisdom. They're mature. They're kind. They're gentle. Super experienced. So when we stepped under their leadership, I think we just all relaxed. We we struggled to find our way through Rome and be in a city, and it was loud and it was bustling. And then we got to camp, and the the mountains were just there, there was a panorama all around us that we looked at every day with great joy. Like I cannot believe we're here. I cannot believe we're here. So um, serving there was joyous. And the only thing, the only way I can describe it to you is it reminded me of like the early church, the New Testament church where they ate together. They had everything in common. Um, we didn't necessarily have everything in common with our Italian brothers and sisters. And we served with a team from Wake Chapel and we served with a team from Cedarville. But we had in common the most important thing, um, Christ. And we all went there with that purpose, with that goal. So when we served, um, it's like, I, I don't know, we talk about our Italian brothers and sisters like we could have deep heartfelt conversations with them. And some of them we had a language barrier with, but it didn't matter. We had a common bond of Christ. And you probably experienced that in Cuba as well. 
but serving there, we did English camp, we did work projects. We'll, we'll try to talk a little bit more about those, um, hopefully in the questions that are asked. Um, and it's really hard to, to describe how much we did, but the main goal was English camp. But I say that not really English was the main goal. The goal was sharing the gospel. And this camp is very different from TBR because all the kids that come, most of the kids that come to Isla are unchurched. And our camp, English camp, is a, a very important two weeks because they're all local kids and local families that Joe and Stefania run into day in, day out. The laundromat owner sent his kids. And I didn't know it until like the end of the second week. They were in my group. And I was like, oh, I really loved him. And I got to love on his children. So things like that, we, we were, and that was originally why we wanted to go to Isla. We wanted to help them bridge a gap with their community, knowing how lost their community is. Um, the local church in Isla has about 30 members. So when we had 200 kids over two weeks, that's a pretty broad reach considering the local church is so small and most of those people won't step foot into it. Is that enough of a summary? <laughs> is that all right? Yes. Okay. That is good. I'll, and that, I'll stop there. That leaves plenty of mystery for us to tease out with questions. So think about those questions that you want to pose. Um, so... I threw a couple pictures up while you were talking. They're on the, they're behind you though, as opposed to on that back wall. So there's one here that's in the gymnatorium. What is what is happening there? Anybody sure. want to clarify that real quick? Um, okay, so the guy that is speaking with the podium, his name is Michelle. He was our director for the first week, um, and I'm assuming that this is story time. Well, there's, there were two parts of the day where Michelle would, would be talking. Um, in English or in Italian? In Italian. Okay. So, yeah, there was, we, didn't really know, we didn't really know what was going on. So our role was to kind of keep the kids quiet. They like to fight each other. They don't like to sit. Um, so that was, that was kind of our role. Well, the reason I heard John, John got to share at men's breakfast. So if you miss men's breakfast, you miss another factor, another like facet of things that happen. And John shared that like the Kids, the school system is a bit more strict, and it's a little rigid, and so this is summer camp. So when the kids get to camp, and they don't have to be in the rigid school system, that's why they want to fight. And so let's get the Americans over there to keep them rowdy, and uh, keep them from getting too rowdy. Well, and they had finished school that Friday and came to camp on Monday. Oh, man. Yeah. So they are wired. So they were, like, ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to explode, basically. Uh, and then Micah, this is a, is a good face. Um, what's going on there? Here you go. Can you can you clarify this picture? That is looks like lunch. It looks like lunch. We are doing no, that's breakfast. Totally breakfast. <laughs> doing breakfast dishes. We got a guy from Wake Chapel. His name is Caleb on the right. Like our favorite staff member from Isola. His name was Stefano. Stefano. Um. Cool. That was very hot. A lot of. Did you eat pasta stuff. at breakfast too? You had at least twice every day. Twice a day. Some people would love that. Uh, and then this, I'm assuming that this is East, the, the Grand Sasso Mountain, like from this cool angle that you guys captured. Um, what is Barrett doing right there? What is he shoveling? Yeah, there's Leah in the background. I'm pretty sure he's shoveling concrete. Okay. So that structure in the back, they had a well. So the f we spent a lot of time working on that well. We pulled up all the pavers. Um, and then pulled up the existing wall structure and then relayed the well, the wall around the well. It was a lot of concrete and bricks. And there was one point where it was like, you know, scoop and fling, scoop and fling, scoop and fling. It was kind of fun, actually. And there was nobody else around, so I didn't have to worry about like throwing concrete on somebody. So it was fun. 
But yeah, I'm pretty sure Barrett is shoveling concrete and sand and mixing. Yeah, John also shared a little bit of what the fun projects that they got to work on, which if you have questions, ask those and we can talk about it. Uh, and then this is the whole team. And again, with the, uh, the mountain in the background. Is that what you captured? That's awesome. All right, so questions for them. Pose them on Slido. Now we're going to pivot to the other side. This is the island of Cuba. If you've not seen how it's shaped before, it's in very close proximity to uh, Haiti, Dominican Republic. Um, it is also in close proximity to these other islands here in the Caribbean and Jamaica and Florida is just out of the screen. But Holguin is a little red star. It's uh, probably difficult to see, but it's all the way towards the south part of the island. So if, if you are only casually familiar with uh, Cuba, you're probably familiar with Havana. Havana is all the way at the top um, you know, closest to the, to the states, basically, um, on that top edge of Cuba. And that's not where our team went. They went to Holguin. And so, Keisha, if you would like to come up and give... Oh, she's got a piece of paper. Look at that. Uh, Keisha, if you'd like to give us... <laughs> if you'd like to give your five-minute uh, summary. Well, um, they, have a, they have a saying in Cuba. Our translators would use it. Um, TIC, which meant this is Cuba, okay? That was short for everything you thought you were going to do just went out the window, okay? Well, our TIC started on Saturday, July 8th at 3.30 a.m. when we got to RDU, okay? Um, most of us had been up since at least two and had already been in line for the international flight counter for about a half hour or more. And when we get up there to start doing our tickets, they say, oh, you don't have a ticket on this flight, okay? Well, that continued through every person that went to the counter and tried to get a ticket. Um, so our group leader also from Deep Impact, Brandon, did not have a ticket on the flight either, supposedly. And the other church that we were going with, Bethlehem Baptist, who had driven to Raleigh from Jacksonville also early in the morning, they were all on the plane, okay? But we were, or waiting for the plane, but we were at the counter. So it was a long, drawn-out thing. We had Willifords who were in the know from the wheels, who were the pilots, and all of this with American going, no, you have, you're, you have tickets. I verified it last night and everything. So at any rate, y'all, we were put in um, holding, which we called jail, okay? And thirds were almost, okay? And so we're in holding, and then they finally, I mean, and it's, we're trying to be kind, and everybody's, oh, well, you know, we know this and everything. Anyway, we end up getting booted out of holding finally and sent to the lobby because we do not have seats on this flight. They can't do anything about it. And the only other flight out for Miami, there's one flight out the rest of the day in Raleigh for Miami, but we will have to then fly to Miami and maybe spend the night and go to Cuba the next day because there are no other flights to Cuba the rest of the day. So the kids are like being very polite, but we have at least six people who've never even flown before. And they're just like, what's happening? And the adults are really feeling like what's happening. So we stop and pray in holding before we move and we just lift all this up to the Lord and we assure the kids that if we get an extra night in Miami it too will be adventurous and eventful and somehow as Brandon said believe this or not but Jesus is already in Cuba and we are not bringing him there he's already there 
okay? So everything's not messed up, and it's going to be good, okay? So we, we move over. Y'all, within five minutes, no joke. I mean, people are starting to go to the bathroom. We're, we're settling in here to the airport at four in the morning, and they say, Back up to the counter, everybody now. We're holding the flight. You're all getting tickets. Go through these two lines. You go through security. We're waiting, holding the flight for you. So they held the flight 45 minutes past the boarding time. Never happens. Didn't happen on our way back, by the way, because that was different. But um, So 45 minutes, we end up making up time in the air, get to Miami maybe 10 minutes later than we were supposed to. Okay? It was amazing. That's how our trip started. Then we get to Cuba. I'll say there's a lot of things. We walked a mile to the church. Uh, I swore I was just four years older, but the heat and humidity were way worse. And they said, no, that's really true. It's not because you're almost 50. It's because it is horrific here and the temperature has been awful. So we were real quick thrown into heat and humidity walking our mile plus to the church for supper and everything. Um, Sunday morning worship was beautiful. We were hosted by Second Baptist, the church that we would, they made our food starting Saturday night. Every lunch meal for us, um, it was incredible. They are wonderful saints and everything. Um, <clears throat> on Sunday, though, we got thrown into the fire, no pun intended, because our story was literally Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting put in the fiery furnace. <laughs> and they told us Sunday after church, oh, by the way, you're going to be doing BBS here tonight with our kids. And I was like, oh, okay, well, we didn't know about this, but that's okay. You know, it'll be good. We'll just figure it out as we go kind of a thing. Y'all, there were 200 kids at this VBS, okay? We had planned for like 350 for the whole week, okay? As Brandy and I meticulously packed the suitcase for two and a half hours labeling everything before we went, okay? It was like you just take it and throw it up in the air. So 200 kids were trying to play red light, green light, and all that with 200 kids. Um, salvation bracelets that we thought we were giving as a gift became the craft, and we still didn't have enough, and we're having to pull stuff out. So it was interesting. Um, but basically, the rest of the week, um, our group was split up into three teams. So starting Monday morning, we had two VBS teams. There were about 16 of us total from the two churches. Um, we had a sports team, and we had... Um, uh, construction team, which was doing a lot of sanding and painting. Um, and so it continued like that on Monday when, the, I'll just give a couple of these stories and then we'll we'll move on to the rest of the week. But Monday morning, the, the two VBS teams, which were supposed to be going to two different places, they're like, oh, y'all are all getting on the bus and you're going to one place together. And we're like, okay, cool, you know, whatever. So we all get on the bus. Well, we're supposed to be at each church for two days. So Monday morning, two days at the same church. Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, two days at a different church. And we're supposed to go to eight churches. Well, after we leave the first church and get back for lunch, they say, oh, actually, y'all are going to eight different churches, and you're all going together as one team, okay? We have eight very gifted teachers and leader adults among these 16 people. And in my American efficient mind, this was not going to be sufficient as a ministry project, okay? Because we had eight capable people now who were all in one location sharing the gospel. And, you know, I was asking myself along with the youth, like, what, how does this, what does this mean? Like, why are we all, half of us are sitting there while the other half are leading, like, how is that efficient, right? 
But God, okay, his plans are not our plans. His plan was to use all these wonderful men, Lee, Scott, Ricky, um, Josh, you know, our women were mostly Jacob. We were working with the kids and doing the ministry that was, team. That was a strange and, way to phrase that. No, Jacob, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jacob was with the men. but Okay, he, okay. <laughs> Thank Look, you Jacob, I just see you up there acting and asking your little Bible story questions. Okay, let me clarify that Jacob was with Ashley acting out, lead acting every time their team got on stage. Okay, so that's why I did not put Jacob with that group. Uh-huh. He, um, besides Ricky and Scott being the angel of the Lord, they were busy like doing ministry with the church leaders and everything. So God's plan for us was to support and encourage each other as teams, but also to be able to do prayer walks around these churches that were two hours out in the jungle is really what it was like. It looked like the rainforest. Um, We would do prayer walks around their community while the other team was serving and teaching the kids. Um, They would pray and meet with the pastors and their wives and that kind of thing. Um, Back at the church, the sports teams, they they thought they had a huge planning day, and they get there the first day and find out that, well, in fact, all the plans have already been made, and they're not really needed except Landon. They did come up with an amazing plan to zip tie soccer nets to, like, steel frame structures to make goals for the soccer game. So that was, like, amazing. Um, And they um, spent a lot of time using their Spanish. Bella, Landon had to be, like, support translators because they had one translator for, like, 100 people. (laughs) So they were helping with that. Um, They ministered to mostly high school students. I'll let them tell you more about that. And young adults who were doing sports tournaments and things. And then we had our construction team who had to be super flexible because they only went out to, like, what, one site, Nathan? Two, two sites. And then they ended up back at Second Baptist sanding chairs and painting and things like that. So you can see that the main goal was like flexibility. Then you hit Wednesday when our team started to fall to the sickness. Okay, we had people fall on Wednesday. Georgia, I think, led the crew and Nathan and then Elijah. It's not her fault. Don't um, don't say it like that. Yeah, it, it, Georgia, yeah. Anyway, they, they just started going down and by... You know, by Thursday night, it was Josh, and Scott was ministering to Josh while he was burning up with fever, and Mackenzie, and on and on. So by Saturday, um, the end of the week, uh, we had a wonderful week. We had wonderful food, wonderful ministry. Um, Fifteen people got saved at the sports camp. Um, Eight in one day. It was, like, incredible. And people got saved at the awards program at the end. It was really amazing. Um, But by Saturday, we had a lot of sickness, and then we were just praying for a shield around Jazz and Josh that, yes, in fact, Jazz was just crying profusely because she was worried about getting on the airplane, not because her fever was over 104 and she could barely stand up. And Josh was sleeping on the benches in the airport. Um, You read about Josh. He had to be hospitalized with E. coli and couldn't function. So we were thinking we're doing weekend at Bernie's with Josh and we have to be ready to, you know, lift him up like he's really alive and get him on the plane. So um, those three, by the way, in an answered prayer as we ran full speed through the airport. I know Josh did not run full speed in Miami. Okay. He was carried by angels, but the only three people that made it on the flight to Raleigh in Miami were Josh, Jazz, 
and Bella, her caretaker, Noah too, but he was flying standby, okay. So the rest of us did not make it on. Anyway, it was such an eventful week, y'all, but the big thing was the plans of the Lord. And those pastors prayed over us, like David said, how humbling it was to have them pray over us and say, you're blessing us and we want to pray for your ministry and all that you've sacrificed to come here and everything. So um, just thank the Lord. There's no way I could do that in five minutes. So that's just not fair. That's all right. There was a lot in a week. (laughs) Thank you very much, Keisha. And so if you would take a look at Slido, we're going to fire a few of the questions that are starting to come in there. But I did want to draw attention to that question I asked. Have you been overseas? And everybody, of the people who took this poll, everybody has, or they want to. And so there will be opportunities. That is one of the desires that uh, Grace Community Church has, our mission team has, is to enable people to go who want to go. So if you really wish to, uh, be careful what you ask for, because we'll give you an opportunity. Um, I'd love to see some answers to this one as well. So if you're already on Slido uh, and you have answered in the affirmative, you've been somewhere, please take a moment to fill that out. Um, So... I'll ask a few questions just to kind of get those of you who are more quiet among us uh, to say some things. Um, but one thing I want, I'll start over here, that I want to throw out there is uh, I'm going to pick on Nathan. Um, why was it particularly meaningful for you to go to Cuba? Um, one reason that I was really looking forward to going was because my family's from there. My grandpa's from Havana, Cuba, and it was really neat to see where he's from, even though we weren't in of uh, Cuba or Holguin or Havana, it was really nice to see how like his story is compared to like the real thing from before and after the revolution and communist. It was really special to me. That's really cool. Um, so I did prep them with a few questions that I that I would ask, and so hopefully they've been thinking about these things. Um, one of them being, uh, and Nathan, you can take a shot at this or you can pass it down. Uh, what was, if anything, what was surprisingly similar? When you're in Cuba, what was similar to something we already would do here in the States? What was a surprising similarity? They had phones. Like, it was very surprising. Like, almost everyone had, like, phones and Instagram and YouTube. Like, it was very just, like, interesting to see how, like, how they're so poor and they can afford a phone. And they were, and they were on them all the time. Yes. Yeah. That is surprisingly similar. Uh, anybody else? A surprising similarity? Yeah, Bella. Um, other than the obvious, like, similarity of, like, everybody's love for Jesus, um, it was amazing to see that similarity, like, past all the physical differences, but other than that, what surprised me the most was that the level of competitiveness between the Americans and the Cubans were, it was really similar, it was like, it was like we were thrown into the fire playing soccer with all of them, but their level of competitiveness was really high, so, yeah. That's cool. Anybody else have a similarity that was striking to you? All right. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Mackenzie. Oh, there's yeah, there's one right there, too. Yeah, you guys have more folks, so I had two mics. Hmm. 
So more people around the world have kids that fight and not just me. <laughs> All right. So for y'all, what similarities did you find that were surprising uh, all the way out there by that big old mountain with compared to here? Uh, we found that the people didn't look Italian. They looked American or we look Italian, however you say it. Huh. It, you can't tell that we're two different people groups. They could have been American kids for all we knew if they weren't speaking rapid Italian all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it was all good Italian either. Um, we don't all speak good English. That's <laughs> um, their family life was similar. Okay. Um, they have that kind of bond. That's what we saw. And the phones. The phones too. They were all on their phones too? Persistently. No. Oh. Mm. So did y'all have the, like... During camp, did you have permission to like take the phones? One of the one of the neat things about camp is Stefania is the mama. She's like the matriarch of camp. We love that because Stefania is so sweet and um, excitable, but she is the don't mess with me. So they, she would come in every morning and remind them of the rules. But she did it in such a way that I think they kind of had fun being reminded of the rules because they are huh. very naughty kids. Right, right, Aaron? <laughs> but, um, so Stefania comes in and she's like the enforcer. So she's like, she's what they do after they have strike number one. They go to Stefania and then Joe is the big dog daddy, the strike number two. So I, th I think that was similar as well, yeah. like because that's we kind of have to do that with our kids. But the um, they did have respect for her, and she was also so gentle and kind with them. But they they always push the limits. So again, they always say no phones. And summer, I would think summer's team they would pull out their phones more, and she would kind of pick on them and kind of joke with them. And they were middle school boys, and they responded fairly well to that. But I. Again, we couldn't understand them, so they were probably kind of mean to us, but thankfully we didn't understand what they were saying, <laughs> which was good. <laughs> Wait, I have a... So one of Jen's kids, um, she was like, don't do that or I'm going to have to tell Stefania. And one of her kids was like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I... That's so, interesting. Yeah. What? That's interesting. Yeah. That seems like oh, that's like an American cinematic idiom thing. I know. But yeah. And she had like eight year olds. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was funny and worth sharing. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Lee, you haven't talked yet. Uh, what was something surprisingly different? Was there anything like surprisingly like this is weird uh, moments that you had arriving and, and working and serving in Italy? So I think one thing that surprised me, we had several significantly older guys that were on the work crew. Now they weren't doing the work, but they were like leading. We had Hantrudi was leading the well project um, and Mr. Daniel was leading power washing. And then like there were just several older guys and it, I really appreciated that they were there and that they were participating and serving in the ways that they could. Because I don't feel like we do as good of a job of incorporating the older people. Were they in our service. from Isola? Were they from? Or they no, Daniel and Hans Rudy were from Switzerland. Oh, um, cool. And then Stefania's parents were also there. Oh. So, and uh, Joe's. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So they kind of coordinated their time to be there at the same time that y'all's mm -hmm. teams are there? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Anything else from y'all before I, I pivot again? Anything surprisingly different? 
surprisingly yes. different. Yes. We planned before this, and this was the question I was supposed to answer, okay. and you really threw off our groove. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I noticed, like, so Micah said that their family life was similar, but there were some differences, I would say, like, the parents really want to protect their kids from physical perceived danger, which I thought was interesting. Like Lydia climbed a tree and all the kids were amazed that she would climb a tree and um, something else that, oh, we, um, we did everything for them. Like we would, at the lunch table, they just sat and we would serve them, um, which I thought was unique. But then I had a conversation with a translator and she told me that she feels like American kids are really sheltered from the world and the things going on in the world and that Italian kids are are aware and they're taught to be aware. So I guess hmm. I thought that was interesting because they're not, I would say they're sheltered, but maybe from physical harm versus yeah. like mental, yeah. Yeah. What I find ironic about that though is that we had a building elective, like we gave the kids saws and hammers <laughs> and nails. <laughs> and it's like... Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. But it was structured. It was safe. Yeah. Um, well, mostly safe. <laughs> interesting. All right, so pivoting, Cuba team, uh, what, anything else that was surprisingly similar um, besides the phones? Anything else you thought about? Anything else similar? All right, then what was surprisingly different? Like, what was, whoa, what was your, like, this is really weird moment? Anything that you, you encountered that was, noticeably different from life here. Yes, I'll, um, so I think um, for me, and it was not my, it's not my first trip to overseas and it wasn't my first trip being in a country maybe or even in a third world country, but I think when I left and this was my first trip to Cuba, I honestly, didn't think of Cuba, I wouldn't have thought of Cuba as being a third world country. I, I don't know why. Well, they don't I, want you to think of them I that don't way. think yeah. of Cuba as being a third world country, but when I got there, and I think most of the team, as we saw the things we saw working with the kids, working in some of the areas we were working, um, it's very much a third world country. Uh, the translators would share details with us when they weren't around areas where they felt like they were being watched or where it was moments where it was just our team where they could open up and share on the long bus rides and things like that. And they were sharing to us that, that, that there's just, uh, especially the medical, I think the medical was the most astonishing thing to me. It was the lack of basic essentials things that we take it for granted that we see as basic needs here there's a hospital there's a building that says hospital on it, it says hospital but countless people one of our translators was, was a dentist named ty uh amazing amazing sister in christ just all of our translators amazing sisters and brothers in christ but she told us she stopped practicing because she can't help the people. There's no medicine. There was no way for her to treat the people. I, uh, on the way to Cuba, there was a doctor sitting beside me traveling back to Cuba, and he said he doesn't practice as a doctor because there's no medicine. The translators told me in, in some of the 
pastors told me in the villages of first church that we were doing a VBS at, there was a little girl who was sick. Uh, pretty sure she had dinghy. We, we didn't know for sure, but just she had traveled. Those kids had been there, I think it was an hour and a half, Keisha, before we got there. It was some time, and she had traveled. There's like 20 minutes left, and we gave her the part in the skit of playing the flute, and uh, she was really sick and just burning up, high fever, and so we were going to send her back in, but she didn't she didn't want to leave because she didn't want to miss the VBS. She didn't want to miss hearing the gospel. She didn't want to miss participating with her friends. So we said, no, nah, just let her stay. But later the pastor told me, he said, no, nah, we don't go to the hospital here because you're better off staying at home and just praying that you'll live, that you'll survive um, because there's just no help. So that was very backwards for me. Yep, that's certainly very different from here. Georgia or Betsy, anything that you noticed that was different? Uh, Noticeably different. Uh, one thing that I noticed that was different, uh, not necessarily surprising, like uh, I knew I was aware that of like the poverty, but I didn't really like grasp the full extent of it until I yep. got there. Yeah. So just everyday things like air conditioning and toilet paper and like they don't have those things, yep. and that's just a just a normal thing, everyday item for me, that it was just weird that they didn't have access to that. Yeah. Um, for me, definitely. Well, the first thing I noticed was really flying into Cuba and like looking down from the airplane. Like there's just so much less in general. Like there's not as many buildings. Like there's so much just open land. And so it's kind of gave me more appreciation for like God's natural creation because... We see so much, there's just, I don't know, America, not everywhere, but a lot of it is just so clogged with buildings yeah. and it was just so open. And then the other thing I noticed was um, uh, the Cuban people and really the kids, they're very like open about their faith. Like the amount of times I heard those kids say amen was just amazing. And like sometimes they were prompted to say it. And other times they would just say it when they felt led to yeah. in a way that I don't really see with children here. Yeah. Um, they were also just so grateful. Uh, like, I don't know. I've never seen, <laughs> I've never seen kids be that grateful for, for VBS. Um, they just, and so many of them were crying and just heartbroken because they didn't know if they'd ever have an experience like that again. Yep. So that was something that really uh, stuck out to me. Yeah, that would be very different from, I mean, the end of VBS here is a big celebration, but not met with tears of that sort. Uh, maybe tears because they didn't get enough ice cream, but not tears of like, this might not happen again. And so that's, that is a, a very different experience. Uh, thank you all for sharing those. Uh, a couple more questions that I have, and then we'll pivot to the ones that are coming in from folks here. I forgot, like, Bob Thorpe is here. So some of those, some of those countries, he's stacked it. Um, but yeah, so I appreciate the, the, the fact that we have been, as a church family, I mean, so many different places, um, yeah, there's more lists. On, I can't scroll it up on that screen, but I can see it from here. Um, but Ecuador, Peru, Mexico, Belize, Czech Republic, Israel, Haiti, Mexico, again, China, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana, like all these places that, that folks in this room sitting with you have been to these countries um, for the sake of the gospel. And I'm not talking about voluntourism. Uh, these, are, these are people who have gone these places in order to, to talk about and demonstrate Jesus' love for the world. So 
uh, speaking of talking about, uh, what, what was it like working with translators or not, as the case may be? You guys mentioned translator issues on both sides. So coming back over here, and you mentioned how like rapid fire Italian from the kids. So what, what was it like working with translators and, and communicating in, the, in those ways? Because this is an English camp. Like it's the kids English are supposed camp. to be able to understand you. True. So um, much like Cuba, I think every mission trip is that way. You get there. And I told our team, I said, you know, we're not going to overprepare because I know what's going to happen. It's all your plans are shot. So let's not waste our time because we have a hard time coordinating with young adults meeting anyway. And let's just, when we get there, we're going to roll with it. Well, we did. And uh, honestly, from week, we did two weeks of English camp. So week one to week two, I had different ages. So what I did week one, we kind of winged it, figured it out. I thought, okay, this will be good. I've got the youngest kids. Well, the next week I had 10-year-olds, and they actually could communicate a little bit in English. But So we all, the English camp workers, there were about um, six, I think seven of us on work team, Micah and um, Lydia, some were kind of back and forth helping with both, and Noah was help, back and forth helping with both. And then the, the rest were doing the work team. But the people in English camp, we had small groups. So we were all assigned a translator. Some translators were adults with wonderful English, and other translators know about as much English as I know Italian. So most of us, well, actually all of us that taught English, had to wing it ourselves. So um, I, I like it. <laughs> I think we've lived cross-culturally, so... It just, I get to be quieter and I use my hands. So I found a lot of comfort in that, like not having to work so hard to be heard because I'm quiet. Anyway, um, John, no comments. I know I like to talk, but I'm not loud. (laughs) (laughs) But um, for others, like I think for Summer and Lauren's group, their English level is a little bit better. So it, it helped them to actually dialogue better in English, but um, the translators we did have were wonderful, but then a lot of the high schooler ones, um, it was fun to connect to. Like, we had a great time connecting to all the translators, so there was like a common bond, but it wasn't always that they were able to help us, but they did manage the kids well. You know, our our kids um, always wanted to run to the bathroom, and there were times the translator would step in and be like, you can't go to the bathroom, where I would say, no baño, and they knew what I was saying, but they didn't want to listen to me. So they did provide like an, an edge of like discipline and a little bit of order that helped us do our thing, if that makes sense. So we, we were kind of complimentary. Without yeah. them, we would have struggled. With them, we didn't necessarily, we weren't necessarily able to teach better English for most of our groups. Any other translator experiences you guys want to add? So the work crews were kind of interesting. As I said, Hans Rudi is from Switzerland. So he spoke German. And um, I don't speak any German or Italian. So we were, he was speaking German to one, no, he was speaking Italian, I'm sorry, to a Kurd who was there, who was translating from Italian into English. The rest of us knew what we were supposed to be doing because none of us spoke Italian. It was very interesting. Um, There were a few cross-wired and like, oh, so-and-so told you to do that. And it's like, well, that's not what I thought I was supposed to be doing. So, sorry. Anything else, Mike or or Summer? I mean, okay, I'm sure. I have a story. Um, At the end of two weeks, one of my kids who had pretended to know zero English, (laughs) I was explaining a game. And, um, yeah, at the end, he 
translated it perfectly to the kids. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> you know, you understand me? So yeah, I had 12 year old boys. I guess that oh, helps, of course. gives you context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That totally makes sense now. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, so yeah, they pretended not to know English. One of them really wanted to learn English and like immediately spoke to me in English. But yeah, most of them pretended not to know. So, but I had a great, I had great translator. Michelle was my translator. So yeah, cool. he, he kept them in check. Uh, this is a question from the one submitted. I'm going to throw this out while we're talking about languages. It, what was your favorite Italian phrase that you came home with? Oh, that was a good question. Never asked that one. Uh, Allora. <laughs> allora. Okay, we loved allora, okay. which is a transition word, like okay or so. Huh. If that makes sense, yeah. <laughs> it's just pretty. Yeah, that is pretty. So they would say like ragazzi, which means like everybody, boys and girls, allora, and it would transition them into what they wanted to say. Okay. Yeah, we all loved it. That's a really pretty. And we wanted. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. I like it. I like yeah. it. I'll try to use that when I'm preaching yeah. instead of, uh, all right. So to you guys, uh, what were your translator experiences? What was it like communicating with the translator? I do know that Bella got to sing in Spanish a little bit, which is one of my favorite things when I've been to a Spanish speaking country. So, uh, what translator experiences do you guys have? I guess I'll start. Um, so I, overall, like our translators were amazing. Like, I know that I didn't go to the Cuba trip last time, but a lot of our translators did go to the last Cuba missions trip that our church went to. And so they like knew us, like knew, like like immediately like talked to Miss Keisha and was like, oh my gosh, so good to see you guys again. And so just to have that immediate connection with some of them. So we had also more people than you guys. So we only had a few in our, in each, in each group. So for the for the sports camp, we only had like two total. And so it was amazing for me because I've taken seven years of Spanish. And so I like love to talk to all of them in Spanish and to translate for other people. Um, but sometimes it was hard, like during the devotionals, when you don't have a lot of translators, they are going so fast. that I was like, okay, when you figure out one thing they say, and like they're already moved on to the next thing. And so a lot of times, um, like, if there wasn't a translator available, like, I would try to help. But other than that, you kind of had to just, like, ask someone and, like, to know what they were saying. But um, it was awesome because I also got to, like, sing with them, like, in front of the entire church and in front of a lot of the people who came to the sports camp in Spanish and in English. And so we sang three worship songs, um, and I sang the English parts. Um, like, I would sing, like, a verse and a chorus in English, and then we all all four of the singers sang in Spanish and it was an amazing opportunity because I've never sang, you know, in front of a church in Spanish and it was, it was awesome. Um, so it was also awesome to practice Spanish the entire week. And so like to be immersed in Spanish because, you know, like I could say I've taken years of Spanish here, but we don't have, I don't have a lot of people to practice with. Like, yeah. it's like the whitest family ever, but, but, um, but, but for them, like, like even talking to some of them, some of them spent like less than six months just watching movies and, and shows in yeah. English. And yeah. they know, like can have a, like a, a deep conversation with me. And it makes me feel like, oh, okay, I've had seven years of Spanish and I can't even understand the guy preaching. And these people, they just learn so fast, but they're so like 
open and willing to learn like whatever you say. Like, like I had some of the kids who literally I taught them how to say, how are you? And I'd be like, how are you? And so they would come up to me and they'd go, how are you? Like really slow. And it was, it was hilarious. But all these kids were like trying to say things in Spanish. So it was awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So for me, Before oh. <laughs> my high school credits, so it's kind of funny how that worked out. But um, I, we actually had multiple careers in high school, but they weren't busy enough to try, and I kind of decided to kind of challenge myself to communicate with the kids um, myself and personally. So uh, it's kind of amazing, especially with kids, like how well you can communicate with them by asking them how they are. Like, Fred asked them how old they were when they were learning how to work, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's my age. So we got to know each other. Through talking about the gospel, acting things out, um, helping them with their tasks, like you really form those relationships. And there are some things that are so cross cultural like this one kid, this little guy had a lightning queen hat, and I was like, yeah, and he was like doing it with me. So, <laughs> but honestly, sometimes I kind of had to humble myself and, you know, take advantage of the gifts that God blessed the translators with because I, sometimes I kind of, you know, was kind of like, I'm going to do it myself. But one of my most meaningful experiences with the kids was through a translator because he was he kept talking to me, he kept trying to speak Spanish to me, and I was telling him like, I don't speak Spanish, I don't speak Spanish, but he just kept trying to tell me. So I grabbed one of the translators and it was funny because it was something, you know, we talked about probably like an hour before. So for someone that young, I was surprised he was even still thinking about it. But we talked about like fear because we had been talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he started telling me, like, all the different things that he was afraid of. And so I was listening, and I, I kind of got to, you know, relate to him, like, sort of some of my own fears, and then got to share with him, like, why we don't have to be afraid and how God is with us in our fear, which is not a conversation I could have had if I didn't have the translator. Like, I never something, I ever had an experience really sharing the gospel with a kid like But the other side of that is it was during COVID, and so I didn't take away much, <laughs> but I had a pretty basic So that um, similarity that we had of swimming and not getting it well, but also playing the sport, like, and we kind of understood that we had that connection in our life, even though we're in different places in the world, completely different lives. Like, we had that, so that made him want to talk about his faith with me, and he was talking about fears and 
also just different things to look forward to. We were able to have a really good conversation, and that was actually on a day where I had lost my voice and was kind of discouraged because I was like, I can't really connect with the kids, but I ended up having this really great conversation with this kid. We were whispering, but... <laughs> so was that translated at all, or were you able to like... So that was just with me and him, with no translator. Cool. So then there's also, um, every day of the week I feel like I got to talk to a very special, that was with a younger kid, and then I also talked to this other little guy more with a translator on, and he, this was at the social situation, so he was kind of trying to get immediately connected with us, because he had a little bit of that vintage conversation, but then she would like to get a translator, and he just wanted to get some extra stuff right away, and he talked about his testimony, and his awareness for culture, so just really deep asking about um, my experience, my testimony, um, and even problems that he could pray about in my life and vice versa. Um, and so it was really interesting how he just was like, okay, translator, let's get into it. Um, and then we were able to, and it was, it was really cool. Um, and then, yeah, it was just every day throughout the week, like we would talk to this older lady who had a lot of experience. I think I saw pictures of that. Yes, and what you don't see in the picture is that I accidentally might have congratulated her on the death of her husband when I thought she was saying she got married. And so I thought she would say that she got married at an older age, and so I was like, oh, more the end. <laughs> so I apologized to her later when we did get a translator, and I clarified, and I was like, oh, that's different. So Nathan or Georgia, anything translator? Um, something that we did is our translator, I was doing sports camp, and it's kind of hard to, like, translate to people while you're playing sports and games. Yeah. And But, like, she also helped answer our questions about Cuba and, like, communicate with the kids on our soccer team. Like, she told us words, like, to say on the field, like, Bominos, like, offensive and all these crazy things to yell at these kids that didn't speak English. But, like, it was also surprising that a lot of these kids knew, like, some English just from watching movies and stuff, and it was really cool. And, like, when we were, like, making a game plan, she would help translate, and I just thought that was really neat. That's cool. So do you not speak any Spanish with your abuelo or, like? I took two uh, semesters of Spanish and didn't take anything away from it. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, man. It's all right. I My grandmother was from Puerto Rico, and so I, through, like, um, high school and college, I took a ton of Spanish as well. And so for me, though, I had a really great experience of it being really resonant when I then went to Spanish-speaking contexts. Um, where uh, those things were, like I said, I love to sing in the in the language, and my vocabulary is terrible, but I always was able to, like, figure out what was going on pretty quickly, and so I appreciated that. Um, Georgia, anything, any translator experiences? Yeah, I had a lot of translators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did y'all as a team like have any like phrase that was a big takeaway from the week? Any particular Spanish phrase? Why are you laughing like that, Josh? Is there one? I mean, it 
It wasn't a Spanish phrase, but it kind of summed up, I think, the theme of the week. But Brandon, uh, every night we would meet for devotions, and every night we'd kind of, each one of the leaders, Jacob and Scott and uh, several of the leaders, Joshua, there was another, the youth leader of the other church was Joshua, um, shared a devotion. But Brandon had said something um, in one of the earlier weeks, and it was, talking about Jesus in the boat, or uh, Peter in the boat and uh, with the disciples in the storm that rose and Jesus walking on the water and how <clears throat> Peter stepped out of that boat to be with Jesus. And the challenge for us that week was um, for us to step out of the boat, that when we arrived in Cuba, it would be very easy for us to stay in our comfort zone and to not get out of our comfort zone, step out of that comfort zone and... Uh, be willing to uh, be challenged in very unique ways. Um, but he reminded us that we're safer stepping out of the boat and onto that storm with Jesus, to be with Jesus on mission than to be in the boat without Jesus. And mm. I think that was very resonant for us. It kept getting repeated, but I think it was very resonant. I know it was very resonant with me um, throughout the week. That's cool. Um, so I'm going to do some rapid-fire questions from the folks who are here. So uh, I'll kind of I'll target them as I feel like I can. But as I'm sipping my coffee, uh, did you guys have good coffee in Cuba? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. Did you bring any back to share? I'm just kidding. Yeah. All right, mine's cold now. So... Uh, and I, we did get to have the experience of uh, competitive football in Cuba, and competitive as Bella described. Did you guys play any sports with that? Was it competitive? Yeah, I can talk about it. Personally, I was too terrified to play soccer with the Italians. <laughs> um, the, uh, I think it was like night number three, and then they were like, we, we play soccer tonight. Italian versus American. Oh, boy. And then at, like, staff. with the staff, staff versus the American staff. And um, I go down there at, like, 11 at night, and it's like they're getting murdered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And the Italians were loving it. I'm Absolutely. Sure. Yep. yep. Like, they were kind of, yep. like, trotting gracefully across the court, uh -huh. and we're sweating, running back and forth. Yep. And they played other games. Yep. They, they put other games, too. But, and mid basketball. They're really good at that, too. Oh. All right. Um, let's see. So let's let this one marinate and we'll come back to it. All right. So what would you consider to be the most important thing that you learned on your trip? And Josh, the guy of the boat doesn't count. What <laughs> would y'all say is the most important thing? Let it marinate. You don't have to answer that one. We'll come back to it. Uh, man, this makes me hungry. What were your desserts in these places? Did you have some? Apparently that you had some. Yes, I'm sorry. So there's this little hole-in-the-wall place in Rome that sold tiramisu. Oh, my goodness. It was so freaking good. It was amazing. Like, so now are you going to be like on, a, on, a, on an adventure to try to find tiramisu that good in North Carolina? No, because I don't think it's possible. Okay. It was really good tiramisu. It was really good. I just really like dessert. We also, I think we had tiramisu at the camp as well, and I ate like three pieces of it there. Like, I really like dessert. Tiramisu is amazing. We were, we were trying not to over-talk about the food because, um, one, the camp food was 
phenomenal. But we don't want to rub that in your faces because we didn't get any <laughs> sicknesses from our food. Those rice and beans are great. <laughs> but gelato, we had gelato oh, every day, sometimes multiple times in Rome. Like the Italians do it right. But um, again, we don't want to boast about how great it was. <laughs> we, we're boasting in Jesus here. Uh, yeah. So what... Yeah, did you guys have any, any desserts, any treats? Because what I experienced, what, no, 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 hey, this is not, it's not a trick question. Because when I was in Cuba, uh, we had this weird experience of like, they would give us, and like sacrificially, the Cuban people would give us things that they would not eat themselves in order to bless us as the, you know, rich foreigners who've come to hang out with them. Like, it was really awkward as a believer. Like, I'm trying to humble myself, and you're giving me this place of honor and give me a dessert that you're not even sharing in. So I'm not asking you a trick question. Like, legitimately, did you guys have any desserts? Well, <laughs> so we had lunch at the church, and it's worth like we had dinner at the Yeah. Yep. So you like chewed on the coffee. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Was it better than the, the little styrofoam wafers in our communion cuppies? Was it better than that? Okay, okay, just checking. Yeah. Um, all right. Th- this is. I just share one quick thing. All right. The, uh, quick. The food, Bessie. I mean, uh, Georgia will remember this. So one of one of the days I got put on the construction crew. I was mostly on the DDS crew, but if some crews were going off a long distance, they wanted somebody that has medical uh, medical background to go with them. So I ended up with Georgia. Georgia's group one day, and um, they gave us they gave us like coconuts, fresh coconuts, and locked the top off. But so they gave us one coconut after a coconut. So I already had one, and I'm working on this coconut, and then they handed me another one. So I'm working on the second coconut, and then they give us coconut meat, and I'm already half a shell. And then they gave me another one, and I'm eating that one. And then Raphael, our translator, came over to me and said, hey, Josh, you need to be really careful with that because it's a natural laxative. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. 
All right. Uh, oh, somebody did ask for clarification. What is gelato? So make sure you explain what gelato is. It is literally translated ice cream in Italian. Okay. So that is, it is an Italian ice cream. Um, so now we're going to pivot away from food because I'm really hungry now. Uh, what for Illy Crew, uh, did you guys have evangelistic opportunities? I mean, you're teaching English. You're teaching a language. You're not necessarily teaching about Jesus in the language. You're teaching the language, and then you're doing work projects. But did you have any evangelistic opportunities? And if so, like, what do they look like? Even, even little stuff. I would say a very few. We, um, and this was probably my favorite takeaway as well. We, we felt like kind of what Keisha said, we were the body. And we weren't always the mouth. We weren't always the ones speaking the gospel. But um, our firm hand on a shoulder to get a kid to listen while Michelle or Joe um, shared the gospel, yeah. I felt like was our support role. And we, of course, there are opportunities. Um, when we were there, um, what was it Joe said our first day? Love, serve, die or live, serve, die? Do you remember, John? He said, live, live, serve, die. And he shared with us a talk. And he was like, you're here to lay your lives down. So just do what needs to be done. Die to yourself and joyfully serve. And I think, of course, the kids saw serving and knew that our hearts were different. And, of course, they were told, you know, that we were believers. But I think the, the sweetest opportunities came from, like, supporting the work of those who were saying it in Italian because I knew it was their heart language. Their English levels were just so low um, and a lot of our translators' English levels was so low, but Michelle, especially, every opportunity, um, every problem Stefania dealt with, you know, while she might be the mama bear, she shares the gospel. So even when your kid's getting in trouble and you're like, go to Stefania, <laughs> you're going to hear it this time, you know? <laughs> like, it's just it, the, the gospel is played out. And that was, our, that was my favorite part, is that even if I couldn't be the mouth and to share the gospel in Italian, that I could try to keep this kid from wiggling around so he would listen to what Joe or Michelle said. So we just felt like we were the hands and feet a lot of times, and they were the mouths. That makes sense. Yeah. So same question then, tossed to y'all. Um, what evangelistic opportunities did you have? I mean, and we've already talked about some of these through that, talking about translation issues and stuff. Anything else that you had that, would, that could answer that question, like an evangelistic opportunity you had, even something little, um, the might not have mentioned yet. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, there were two, two really precious opportunities I had that were really different from one another. And one was the second day. No, I, my days got blurred by the end of the week. So I'm not sure what day it was. I think it was the second day. But it was, we pulled in to the church to get off, and there was a little boy that was crying um, and just really crying, and, and he had injured his hand, uh, and they couldn't get him to stop crying, and they directed him over to me, and and I had the medical bag. And right before this, the funny thing is a lot of the youth were making bracelets for for uh, the kids, and I had, Mackenzie had given me some string, and I was making this bracelet. been a few years since I had done that, but I was making this bracelet, and I cut the string too short, so it was like for a three-year-old kid, and I thought, 
how in the world is this going to fit on these kids' hands? I said, so I put it in my pocket, but I don't know if it was you, McKenzie, but, or one of the translators, but they said, God's got somebody in mind for that. And when I showed up, it was that kid, and I tied it around his hand, his hurt hand, and then I got to fix his hand and, and clean it up and, and uh, put antibiotic on it. And then he grabbed me and embraced me and wouldn't let go of me. And I held that kid that entire time. And then I had to say goodbye to that kid. But I had prayed for that kid. I, I, you know, he wasn't old enough to understand for me to share. But I prayed fervently for this kid. I was sweating praying for this kid because my mind went to, I get to leave, but this kid, Samuel, is going to stay here and grow up in Cuba and grow up in this area and grow up not in this lifestyle, not having the access to the medical help and all this stuff. And I prayed for that kid. And then when I got to say goodbye, my surprise was when I didn't want to say goodbye, I got on the bus and here comes a family with Samuel and Samuel sits in my lap and rides till we get him back to his house. We go a little bit and he rides on my lap so I didn't have to say goodbye. But that was... And I'm, I'm going to stop there. It was another opportunity, but I took enough time. But that was probably the one that um, meant the most to me that week. Uh, so one question while we're over here with the Cuba team. Um, and if you have not noticed, Ricky did share the, the link to the Google Drive of all the, the photo dump, basically, for this team. So if you're interested in, in seeing more pictures than what I showed, you can check that link. Um, I think it's still up on Church Center. But also... Um, so in that link, in these pictures, uh, the question that, that, I'm, that I'm reading here is, were there clear signs of communism in Cuba? Uh, if so, what? Um, there are literally signs that, there are, that Lee took some pictures of that you can find in the, in the photo dump um, that are propaganda. Uh, so we see propaganda all the time. It's a little bit more subtle uh, here in the States, but there it's not subtle at all. It's very obvious, um, but it's... That's what they're told. It's the story that's, Im that's imbibed in the culture. Uh, but other than the literal signs, <laughs> what other signs did you guys encounter that, that, were, that reminded you that, oh, this is a communist uh, government? Anything? Um, one thing that I noticed, like, there was, like, big signs that said, like, we we're driving on the way from the airport to the church and there was a sign that we passed that said thank you Castro and it was just a really big shock like wow like this horrible person is being like thanked for their poverty and their suffering and like you could just tell like through all the police we learned a lot through about like the police and the government through our translator and they're like that's more like the better paying jobs and a lot of people don't like them for that because like they're supporting like their downfall and it was just really sad to see Going through around here to see lots of signs. There was also a lot of shrines that we saw of like statues of Castro and paintings going all around it, flowers, art, all these things. Um, but we saw a lot of those, and then also there was like a shop that I went to, Grace and Ashley, and we saw 
just like a bunch of biographies of Castro and different supporters throughout his years. Um, and just like everything was crazy thin. Mm. It was like all of the merchandise and everything because so much stuff was just Anything else you guys want to add? All right. So, if you've been thinking about the most important thing you learned, anybody, anybody want to take a shot at it? <laughs> I got right. you. You do? Yeah, I got you. Okay, go for it. <laughs> um, so, around the end of the first week, I think I was one of the first people to start getting, not nothing nearly as bad as what you guys had, but we got sick too. Some of the kids brought some kind of stomach bug slash virus slash whatever. And I was sick for about three days, badly two days, just recovering. Um, and at that time I was kind of upset because I didn't get to, like I enjoyed working there. I enjoyed doing it all. It was, it was fulfilling. And then I had to take a break for like five days. I couldn't do anything. And then it was just like, I was thinking. Um, and I realized God doesn't need me for this. It, I'm, I'm blessed to be serving here. I could be, I could be sick for the rest of the time and it wouldn't matter. God would find someone else to do his work. I'm not important, but I'm blessed to be here. I'll serve cheerfully, I'll be sick cheerfully. <laughs> yeah. I think I did that well, maybe. <laughs> um, and, you know, probably also blessed that I was sick because um, I guess you grow through your suffering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was my one big takeaway. That's very similar to kind of what Keisha said, that, yeah, that Jesus is already in Italy. <laughs> the gospel is already at work, and we get the privilege of participating with it. But, yeah, we don't have to bear the weight of doing a thing when we're that sick you can just rest that's great all right cuba team you have a you have to still answer this question uh but we'll come back to it i'll give you one more chance um what were this, this is an interesting question what were their opinions of the americans in italy obviously they loved beating you in soccer but what other opinions kind of bubbled to the surface through the english camp or while you're working or they have opinions about america or americans Um, I would, I'm trying to like order it in my head. I'll start with the kids. Um, the first question, and they ask you every single day is, do you eat pineapple on pizza? <laughs> and if you, thankfully Lauren and I do not like that. So they were like, okay, good. Because I would kill you in your sleep. <laughs> and so like, it's very serious. Um, Have you seen that little Caesars commercial that's going on right now? No. There's this whole like. I'm in pineapple heaven guy where he's like drinking pineapple Pepsi oh, no. with pineapple on his pizza. And so they would, they would just hate that. They would hate that. Completely. Yeah. So they, I would say that they think Americans are crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty simply put. Okay. They think that we're like really obnoxious and loud oh. um, and crazy and that we are very proud. Um, what else would you guys say? Here, I'll let you go. Oh. Oh. 
Um, I think the translators were very grateful for our presence. A lot of a lot of those were high schools, high schoolers or young adults, and a lot of those really bonded with the teens that were there. So our relationship with our tr- translators was on a different level, and I would say that their view of America was like, "You've come all this way to help us." We were very grateful for mm-hmm. that. Um, there was a third culture kid there who grew up in in Italy, but she's an American. Um, She's an American citizen, and she was a really prominent translator, and I would say that she really hates Americans. And so I feel like we had to kind of work through that and try to work around her and peacefully. Like, she she would, like, scold us. She really didn't like – she really didn't like us. Um, and she was younger than us, but um, that was probably the hardest one to deal with. Um, was she a missionary kid? She's a missionary kid, okay. lives in so that's Milan. what third culture kid – that typically means is a mm-hmm. child of a missionary who is on the field. But every experience she's had coming to America has been really bad for her. And so she just had a lot of negative. And I tried to learn from her. Like, what? so what is your frame of reference? How do you I see I mean, missionary things? kids and pastor's kids, they get church hurt, y'all. I'm just yeah. going to put that out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So for y'all, then, what, uh, what were the opinions about Americans from Cuba? Um, I just want to answer this on like behalf of all the kids there. Personally, I felt like I feel like all the kids like looked at us like we were celebrities. Like it, it's crazy. Like, That's totally different from the Italy team. <laughs> it, you know, it's it's different. Like obviously, it's different with a, a bunch of the people. I didn't talk to a lot of like everybody, but there were so many kids who came up to us and would be like, like sacaron foto, and like they'd like want to take a, like a little selfie on their little phone and. They would, like, I gave this one little kid who got saved, like, the first day, his name was Antonio, and I gave him a little hygiene packet, and he was like, is this for me? And I was like, yeah, and he, like, like started, like, crying, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I just gave this child a hygiene packet, and he's, like, he just gave me the biggest hug, and so I feel like they literally, like, they love you, and they're so grateful that you're there, and even, like, I don't want to, like, Miss, Miss Keisha tells a story amazing, but, like, she, she told me, she told me this story, and... I, I think it's crazy, but she was talking to this kid and didn't know what he was saying, and the translator came, and he was asking if she was a millionaire because, and all he had, and all she had given him was, like, markers and paper, and it's just, it's crazy. It's, it has resonated in, in pesos, me forever. we are all millionaires. And and she was like, no, no, we're just like, and she just like, the love that like we have for giving things like bracelets and for markers and paper and things that we think of every day is like, just things that we use all the time. And they just are like, oh my gosh, you're the most loving and kind kids like ever. And they just look at you like, oh my gosh, like, can you take a picture with me? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so it was just amazing in that aspect for the kids, especially like I like we a lot of us worked with kids more than adults. I feel like other than like the adults in the um, the soccer tournament, but yeah. like other than that, like the kids were they were amazing. Any other opinions of Americans that y'all encounter? I would say that the people the people we encountered in the church were very excited to see us. Like the whole church had like prepared songs and sticks for us, and so that was really special. So they were really excited to see us. It's kind of that celebrity aspect, um, and just loving on us, seeing us as brothers and sisters. Christ and just really showing that like how they treated us and prayed for us. Then there's also the side of kind of the tourism side where they saw us as very rich and very naive. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I know just like kind of immediately being approached in different places to buy things, um, you know, maybe fruit pies or Cuban cigars. That was an experience. Like 
Yep. I want to add one more thing. Good. So I have to share this story because it, I just have to share this story. And so, so we got to choose either between to go into the soccer tournament or into a volleyball tournament. Okay. And so, just like at the end of the day, that's a dilemma for you, Bella, because you're was, very tall, but you so, also play soccer. <laughs> a lot of a lot of us in our group chose volleyball, but me and Landon and Nathan wanted to play soccer. Okay. And we took a risk, you know, put ourselves out there, knew that we were going to be horrible. And so we walked out there and we were standing and waiting for, we were supposed to have a teams of 10. And uh, the Cuban leader came up to me, to us, and he was like, so you don't have anybody else on your team? Because none of the Cubans want to be on the Americans team. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So they thought we were horrible. And so uh -huh. then... Like 20 minutes later, as we're searching for seven other people, or, and they bring us, they bring us seven like eight to 12 year olds, and they said, "This was your team," and yeah, overall it was amazing because they were amazing kids. But yeah, they're probably okay. This is like a 16 through 35, like age range. Like these guys are in cleats and and shin guards and yeah. like jerseys, and we're over here and like shorts and sneakers and yeah. so we like literally the first game we tied with the other team and the, and the whole crowd went crazy yeah. they were like oh my gosh yeah. and so it was like we won the super bowl and then the next game landon <laughs> scored and we literally acted like we had won the world cup like <laughs> off of the one goal and it was it was it was crazy and so we actually ended up gaining everybody's respect and so it was silent the rest of the tournament but when the american team out there they were like roaring and everybody was just like cheering us on and so i think in that aspect it was it was an amazing it was an amazing tournament but like in the beginning they were thinking like nobody wants to play with you like they these kids are like born on a soccer ball and yeah and so we're like <laughs> okay yeah. and so it was it was amazing though it, we had all all three of us like we were able to like connect with these kids because i feel like in a way like even landon said this once like it was it was nice and easy like to connect with the kids because it would have been i think a little bit harder to connect with like um, like some of the older people who yep. were there. And so it was a good opportunity for us to like connect with the kids on that level because they kind of looked up to us like on their team. And so like we're able to share the gospel and stuff, but it was awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. We All right. Definitely ended up losing in the end. We That's came okay. in like last. That's but. to be expected. Uh, so two questions. This is it. We got to wrap up. Uh, so this one's rapid fire for everybody. Um, I'm going to start down here. Uh, Given an opportunity, would you go back to Italy or would you go somewhere else in the world? So start with summer and we'll go all the way down. Would you, if you had another mission opportunity, sorry, Micah, uh, would you go back or would you go somewhere else? I would go back to Italy. Okay. Yes. 100%. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my wife actually answered that, asked me that question in the hospital on the second day. And I was conscious that I could answer that question. Josh's wife is from the Philippines, so this is a loaded question. And my question actually, I wrestled with that question, to be honest with you. I wrestled with it for two days in the hospital, where Satan was really trying to do a number on my heart because of what I went through. But what it came down to was God answering that with, I never promised that you would not 
suffer for my sake. I never told you that you would be healed. What I told you is that I would be with you and I would never forsake you. That is my promise to you. And in that hospital bed, God was with me and he never forsook me and he was with our team and he never forsook our team. No matter what we all went through and I think all of our team suffered in some fashion. Uh, and, and so my answer is emphatically yes. I'm okay. going to do it again because if he calls me to do it, I'm going to serve the Lord wherever he calls me to go. I would definitely go back to Cuba. I would. Awesome. Uh, so this is the last question. This is something you might have to learn. And you guys still haven't answered what was the biggest thing you learned. I'm not letting that go. So I guess you have two questions. But we'll come back over here. Um, what was something that you noticed about American culture when you landed back in RDU and readjusted to life in Bush Creek and Coates and Lillington? Like what, what was something you noticed about American culture? And not everybody has to answer this, but anybody have anything that, that stuck out to you once you got back? I'm not sure that there's something about American culture, but I would say that most of our team had a tough re-entry. Um, we've talked to Stephen, or John has talked to Stephen Eisenberg about this. I think when you go and you serve and you thrive and you love it, and every second of your day is purposeful and working for the Lord, and we're, we were so content in that. And like I always tell people, I feel like at the end of our second week, we were picking up steam. I mean, even though we were sick, all of us, almost all of us got sick. It didn't matter. We were, we were like just stepping into the rhythm of that life and loved it. So coming back was a little bit, we love you all, but it was a little bit of a, a downer. It was like, I've got to go to work. I've got to live back here. And while, while I love the order of our days and our lives, um, and I, I love living in America, I'm not even going to complain about that. Um, we had, there was such joy in being, in serving with our brothers and sisters in a setting where we all really thrived. So it was very difficult to come back here and just do normal day-to-day -day routine things. We didn't have to think about food in Italy. We ate every meal at summer and I complained about that at the grocery store. Like we got to plan our food for the week. Like it was so great. Like we didn't even think about what we were eating that day. It was just served for us and it was amazing, you know, like, and so all we did was spend all our energy on loving the kids or doing our work, work projects all of our days. That's all we did. And we didn't have to think about it. We were told what to do. We did it joyfully. So for, for me, I would say the hardest thing is just getting back into the normal. I, I don't want my life to just be about this. I want my, my life to be about bringing glory to the Lord in everything that I do. Yeah, so I agree that the day-to-day -day was hard. My biggest thing, though, I wanted to come back so bad just to see you all and to share with you because you are my heart, you are my family. And that was like, I was so excited to get back to church. I don't, we got back at like midnight. I was coming to church the next day anyway, because I wanted to see you all. Cuba folks, what did you notice re reacclimating besides healing or being in the hospital as the case may be? What else did you notice about being back in American culture? Um, something I noticed when we got back to the airport was that there was like stores and food, like so much food <laughs> and like that, like if they don't even have like the options to like, they get like five eggs for a month and I just see a dozen on the counter and it's just like so bizarre how like we come back to like this luxurious life how, and like 
they're still there living. Yeah, um, like adding on what Nathan said, there was just so much that and they didn't have like happening like we had at the airport. Like a couple of us like went to Starbucks or whatever, and like I was looking like at the menu and just thinking like, look at all this stuff. Like they don't have any of this. Yep. <clears throat> Anybody else have their takeaway from your trip? The big takeaway, Mackenzie. So for me, um, one of my most like meaningful uh, experiences, spiritually anyway, was um, the church that we went to that was two hours away. Um, they said it was like an hour. It's not an hour. Um, uh, anyway, uh, it was very small. Like basically the church was a shed. Um, there was not room for all of us in there, and I wasn't on the leading team. So I was sitting at the back, and then Miss Keisha pulled me. And she's like, do you want to go on a prayer walk? And I didn't really know what that meant. But I was like, okay. So I went on a walk, and basically we were just walking around that area, um, praying out loud, just pouring out our hearts to God. And at every corner, we would all pray, like, over each other. It was, it was crazy. Like, because Pastor Brandon told us, like, just pray out loud. Like, it doesn't matter that other people are talking all of you just pray and it kind of scared me to be honest like I don't know I don't like to be uncomfortable and I don't like to make other people uncomfortable and here we are and we're all praying we sound like I, I don't even know what we sounded like you know all the Cuban people are like who are outside are like going back into their houses because they don't know what's going on and I was I was uncomfortable too I was scared and then um it came to my time to pray and I, I was so scared because I was like I don't want to be the reason these people are going back in their houses and yet there's all these women there were several women and another man there and they're crying and praying and I had to pray over them and I, that was not an experience I'd had before and I was like I'd never felt God in that way and so I feel like what I carried with me the rest of that week and um, since I've been back is pray more Pray harder and love God boldly. Mm. Anybody else? Thank you very much, Betsy. Um, one thing that really stuck out to me the week that we were there and just kind of coming back and seeing the difference was the way that they have relationships with each other and their friendships and just the community, um, especially at Second Baptist, but then each individual church we went to, um, there's like moms holding children that don't belong to them and just in the church and just talking with people and praying over them just finding someone random that they might not know or that they you know or they do and they just treat each other with such love and it just put into perspective um like you know i just graduated high school and I'm a teenage girl there's lots of drama in my life just like looking at a different perspective of life where you're just loving on people, and that's how they treat each other and with such respect. And it's just kind of putting other things aside. And like I said with that one church, you know, they just kind of put aside the formalities. Um, I'm not saying that they didn't have manners and stuff. They just kind of put away all the, what we kind of see as necessity sometimes and just kind of got down to, like, what do you need? What is God doing in your life? What, like... What is lacking? What is what is good? You know, and just really asking about 
past all that and about our lives and what's happening and really caring, you could just see how much they cared for each other and how much they loved each other. And so that was just something that I was really challenged by to like bring back here and to show in my relationships with my friends. And I'm going through a transition to where some of my friends are leaving for college and just still like showing that love to each other and just putting like the silly stuff aside mm. and just kind of, I don't know, I was inspired by their relationships. Um, I think both teams, uh, you experience the kind of refinement that comes from these experiences where you've kind of had the stuff kind of put in perspective. And so it does change the way you want to engage with the world uh, when you're back here. Um, this is just a tip of the iceberg for both of these teams. This isn't the whole team from either side. There are many more stories that each of these individuals would love to tell you about. Um, and there's, uh, if you have your notifications on, then you just got pinged. You know, the Ricky shared that link again to the photos from Cuba. Um, so there are plenty of stories to be told. Um, so please continue to pray for and look for these folks who served in these uh, two different teams over the summer. Um, if you have any more questions, you can certainly fire those to Grace Matters as well, and I can follow up with individuals. We have a few that we didn't get to from the Q&A here, um, and I'll obviously post this as a podcast as well for anybody who wants to listen to this conversation um, after today. Uh, so let me take a moment, though, to pray for these two teams and the churches represented um, in these two countries um, that we were able to partner with. So let's pray. God, in your sovereignty and in your wisdom, you allowed us to be born here at such a time as this with abundant resources in so many ways. And so we thank you for giving us the opportunity uh, to go, to afford flights and travel arrangements uh, to take so much material with us to these two very different places in the world. We thank you for the privilege that it was for our team of young adults uh, in Italy uh, to give uh, support and energy to uh, Joe and Stefania and their staff, to encourage them in so many intangible ways, uh, to, to show a consistency of love as you asked us to by saying, you know, the way that we love each other is how the world will know that we love Jesus. So thank you for giving the team that went to Italy the opportunity to demonstrate that love through teaching, through working hard to uh, fix the well and other things that we're doing for the work projects. Um, in those ways, they showed their love for uh, the Hunskers and the staff and the camp at Isola, and in that way showed their love for you. We do pray for the church there at Isla del Gran Sasso and pray that um, those 30-ish believers would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that they would find consistent ways to share the gospel with all the children in that village that come to the camp, all those families that are touched through those opportunities. We pray that the gospel would be clear and that they would be able to respond to it um, and not be distracted by 
uh, religiosity or by culture. And we pray for uh, this very diverse group of young adults that has now returned back and have plugged into different places, including Barry McKinley being um, in Sanford. Pray that for, for that whole team, that as they find ways to hold on to their experience and, and, and let it shape how they interact with the world now, uh, that you would give them cause to remember and pray for their brothers and sisters in Italy. You'd give them opportunities to talk about uh, your goodness and your faithfulness as it was displayed through that trip. And God, similarly, we thank you so much for the ways that we were able to partner with Deep Impact and take a team to Cuba. Uh, we thank you for the multiple trips that our church has been able to take to Cuba and particularly to Holguin. We thank you for those relationships that have been uh, fostered and cultivated. We thank you so much for uh, safety. We do not want to take that for granted. So we thank you that you kept that team safe, even though physically they were sick. Um, you were with them, as Josh said, uh, and they all made it to and from Cuba with no incident. And we don't, we don't want to take that for granted. We want to thank you and praise you for that protection. Uh, we want to ask for uh, your opportunities uh, to continue to happen for, for our church and other churches to be able to encourage and support the church in Cuba. We thank you that Jesus is there uh, because there are certainly more than two or three that have gathered in his name in all these little towns and all these little churches and the big cities. Uh, and I pray that the Cuban believers would be sustained by the power of the Holy Spirit because they are physically not sustained uh, and emotionally uh, drained by the ways that they are treated and culturally. So we pray that the believers would be sustained and encouraged and energized supernaturally. And pray that there would not be opportunities for many to see and fear and put their trust in Jesus over and above uh, Castro or any others in their government. We pray that you'd be glorified in the ways that this team also brings the things home with them, those experiences, those memories, um, as they find ways to incorporate that into their life moving forward. Uh, give them opportunity to remember rightly uh, all your faithfulness to them on that week, but also preparing the way beforehand and uh, the things that you are continuing to do now while we're back here. Um, we pray that uh, you would continue to stir in our church's hearts and our church's heart uh, and the hearts of us as individuals, the desire to, to go. And as we go to make disciples of all nations uh, so that we might um, continue to participate with you in such an amazing work in which the, the gates of hell will not even stand against the, the church. And we love you and we thank you for loving us in so many very tangible ways through these trips and these stories and in so many intangible ways too. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.